This episode of Strange Assembly is brought to you by www.l5rsearch.com. L5rsearch.com is a comprehensive online L5R card database with tools to assist in optimizing your decks, proxying cards, or simply finding out about unusual cards. Once you know what you need, www.l5rshop.com puts cards in your hands quickly and economically. This is Strange Assembly episode 131, Turnout. As in high turnout, right? That's what we had for the first weekend of Cote season. Really high turnout. I don't know. I didn't see anybody under the influence. I I, I was going to guess it was because, much like this podcast, the turnout was pretty bad. Yes, it can't be that good when we've got you around, Jay. Pretty much, yeah. I try. Uh, I am Chris Stevenson, and here with me, as always, are Jay Earl. Hey. And Mike Cook. Sorry. (laughs) And you're listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. As we are recording, it is Tuesday, March 18th, which means we are just three days removed from the Atlanta Cote and the other five Cote that went down on week one. The total turnout of these six Cote was 228 players. The biggest Cote was 59, and that was Feeding Hills which is a big downturn for them. Last year, we had 90-something people at the Atlanta Cote, and we had 38 this year. That was not a good number. I'm inclined to blame it on the proxy thing. I mean, I, I, I do know that there were definitely people who were in the Atlanta area who did not come because they just do not want to deal with the whole making proxies rather than building real decks out of real cards, and they hadn't been able to buy Ivory Edition yet. I don't know. What's your guys' sort of take on that? I mean, I think we'll see if that's really true come April, but that's certainly a valid explanation for at least some of the downturn, yes. I think that is part of it. I think you have a, a number of things going on. Like, well, three specifically. I think proxies is a, uh, a factor. I honestly think that Netrunner and Star Wars have sniped off a lot of people. I think that, well, actually, the third factor would be kind of a combination factor. One is that the magic set Theros is very popular and very well-liked, and the theme is very well-liked. And anytime you have a very popular magic theme, it's a lot harder to snipe players, because magic is just so big, that's usually where you pull from. Even if it's they're just they're looking for a second game or whatever. And then on top of that, kind of also tying back into proxies, because we didn't have the physical cards, it was much harder to get people interested in the game. Like, you know, well, you want to talk up this game, and then you're like, well, in two or three months, we'll actually have something you can buy, unless you want to be a lion or crab. We, we, did, we did do that. We, we talked up the game, and we had people who were interested, and we told them in, in two or three months they'd be able to buy stuff, and then they couldn't. <laughs> yeah, because that was back in November, and it didn't even come out. I was like, oh, for sure it'll be like uh, January. Oh, for sure it'll be February. In March? Really? I mean, yeah, it's got to be out in February. 
remember saying that it has to be out by the middle of February because Kote start in the middle of March. And right. it needs to be out at least a month before. Yeah. Well, and when uh, when we were talking about it, it was like, you know, when we had it two years ago, or Kote two years ago had one of their, I think it was the best turnout we've ever had, or one of the best turnouts we've ever had, and that was when we had proxies. But we also, because it was the same point, it was like the like one of the first weekends in March, but the Emperor base set had dropped in February. So it was much delayed, but it was still out before uh before the first tournament so i don't think it was as big of a factor yeah yeah proxies were legal but you could actually have the product this the pre-release kits came out on monday i think on on monday the 10th and yeah i mean stores were only supposed to be just getting those pre-release kits and the like uh, you know, distributors weren't supposed to be releasing stuff until the 24th, I think. So the 24th is the real street date. So it's not until after the second weekend of Kote that you're going to have the actual street date for Ivory Edition. Like you said, I that that's my personal going explanation. I certainly hope that that's the explanation, because if it's not that, it's a problem. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the other theory, I, I know... Uh, Eric Devlin was talking about some rules stuff as a possibility. Oh, uh, like the interrupt stuff? No, no, well, no, no, no. I, the fact that, okay, yeah, okay. We don't have comprehensive rules yet. Right. We just ran a tournament on Saturday where they have not actually published the rules of the game that we were running the tournament under. Right. I, I, <laughs> Rules, schmools. You don't need rules. Well, and even the the sort of semi-comprehensive rules document they came out with like two days before the tournament. Before that, you just had the basic and the advanced rule books, which clearly did not form a complete rule book. Right. My guess, my guess, purely you know looking at the outside and kind of making suppositions based on on, on what people in the rules team are saying is my guess is that they don't have the comprehensive rules done because they made enough big changes with how card phrasings work and how the rules work that there were a number of issues with cards that they did not catch and that it was only when it got out into the wild and you had all the L5R players in the entire world sitting there and trying to nitpick everything that sort of weird problems started to come up like they just issued technical errata on seeking the way so that it actually works. I I think the elimination of bowing guys as a cost, yeah. As a cost, uh, like they're still bow this card as a cost, but the fact that you can't have one card bow another card as a cost has caused problems because they've especially with spells, yeah. Yeah, and they've loaded so much of the rules baggage for that into the good faith rule, which they hadn't even released the partial text of until during the week prior to the Kote, and they still haven't released a full text of I, I'll t- I'm going to tell you, I hate I hate the good faith rule. It is an awful rule. There yes. should not be a good faith rule. There should not be some rule about how you can't announce something unless you know that maybe you're going to conditionally be able to declare whatever, and then you have to like you should be able to announce your action or you can't. And if you can't announce it, then like, and if you try to, and your opponent goes, "Dude, you, there's no target for that," or "Dude, you can't pay for that," you go, "Oh, crud, sorry," and then it just vanishes back like it never happened. That yeah. is what should happen. There should not be a good faith rule. 
I mean, really, how I think a lot of how you would do that is by taking targeting and changing it back to the earlier in the sequence. I think that solves a lot of issues they're having right now. I think that it is absolutely a fantastic idea to not have it be like it used to be with reactions, where you could take a reaction at any time. You can react in the middle of declaration, in the middle of targeting, before targeting, after targeting, before cost, after cost. It caused all sorts of timing nightmares, but... They've overcorrected. I don't think it's overcorrected. I think they just picked the wrong point. I There must right. have been some reason, but I don't know what it was. And so, from again, from where I sit with Daniel, I think it should be... You know, you do a full declaration, and then you check to see if the other guy has interrupts. Yeah. I declare, I announce it, I declare my target, I pay my costs, and or or pay my costs and then declare my target, whatever. And then once all that is done, then I say, and now, sir, do you wish to play your turtle shell? <laughs> I mean, I, I think I would probably have the interrupt come before the cost, so you don't have to change the cost. The cost is just whatever it is after it's done. But regardless, I even... Because, you know, we were active judging the uh, the last match at the uh, Atlanta Cote. They were still doing it the old way. They were still announcing, uh, I'm going to play this card, switching these two positions. Oh, yeah. Nobody actually plays, I declare sudden movement. Do you have any interrupts? Okay, right. well, then I'm targeting those two guys. And just to be clear, we were not just active judging the last match. We were active no, yes. judging the yes, entirety of the... Uh, but I'm saying even in that last match, I mean, those are going to be the people who are going to be some of the most technical people in the tournament. Yeah, well, yes, and nobody, like, I mean, we always, old rules, newables, there's all sorts of shortcuts, although ideally you have the shortcutting be stuff that, that doesn't matter, like shortcutting with Jade Pearl in and like right. the fact that, right, you have to technically, you can't put Jade Pearl into, into play and then say, okay, I'm going to go get X. You have to, I announced that I'm recruiting Jade Pearl in, but like, you know, that, who cares? Right. I thought it was even it more makes... confusing that you're technically supposed to say, I am recruiting a card, I interrupt with Jade Pearl in. Uh, yes. Okay, now I am choosing to recruit Jade Pearl in. That is actually oh, correct, yes. And, well, it's the same thing with, although I think there's a little bit more of an issue with it, it's the same thing with Secluded Outpost. I mean, that's the problem of, you know, they want to do gold pooling. Well, that card completely works against gold pooling. I think that that kind of weirdness is okay, because... It's sort of odd once you get down into the nitpicky weeds, but if you're just playing, you know what it does. Like, right. you look at the card, and it plays exactly like you think it does, and then there's some sort of technical rules hiding in the background that make it work. That is perfect. I don't think it would be the end of the world if they they used more distinctive restrictors. The, the sort of things that I would do to clean up the good faith rule. I don't know if you need to bring bowing back as a cost. You just maybe just need to be more careful about how you word cards. I think they should just bring back discard that like discarding the favor should be able to be a cost. That's very limited. That's very flavorful. It's very distinctive. I think it's easy to grok and it has caused problems with cards and how like there's there's weird things like if I'm playing Imperial Summon and I don't control the favor and my stronghold is bowed, I can't announce it. Because the good faith rule knows that I'm not going to be able to pay the costs at all. But if I control the favor, then I can announce. If I sorry, if I control the favor and my box is bowed, then I can announce Imperial summons, choose to not discard the favor, 
and then I can't bow my stronghold, so then the card does nothing and just. But it's a favor action for Ring of Air or something like that. I that kind of thing should not work. So that's that's just a weird thing. And then the way you would do things like Imperial Summons is is you just put text at the end of the the rules. But and then the third thing is I would get rid of another good another thing that's now wrapped up in the good faith rule because the good faith rule, which as I said I hate, has gotten even bigger. I think it should never have existed in the first place. I'm going to exaggerate and call it an abomination of rules. Because it's not a rules thing. Like, there should not be... What the heck does good faith have to do with this? Either you can do it, or you can't. But there's another rule that's wrapped into good faith now is the if clauses. Like, personality, the personality says, if it is another player's turn, they may bow a guy, gain two honor. Well, if you just read that as a plain language card... I can play it on my turn. It just doesn't give my option, my opponent the option to do anything because they don't meet the if clause. And so part of the good faith rule is now it says, well, when it says if such and such, you're just never allowed to play it unless that's true. When Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, I know. For, for both the second and third there, I think you can... That other game, as people sometimes call it on the L5 Orbits, Magic has been doing this for years, and it works perfectly fine. You just put a sentence at the back of it. It's just like a card in Magic that says, play this only on your turn, right? You you take an ability like that and you say, open, bow, as the call, you know, colon. Your opponent may bow a personality if they don't gain two honor, period. You may not play this ability on your turn. No, no, no. They, what they need to do is they need to make the unlimited keyword or non-limited keyword where you can't, it's not an open, but it's not a limited. Eh. Eh. I don't think they did another keyword. And that's not, it's not enough cards, I think, that use that sort of. Well, I mean, I mean, most of those abilities, it's like, you know, it's exactly like you said. It, sh- it shouldn't just be wrapped up because it just doesn't do anything. By common sense, it doesn't do anything. And right, and what we're supposed to be shooting for is the plainest language possible. And I think. For something like that, the plainest language possible is to just say, you may only play this ability on an opponent's turn. And then... Yeah. And then for something like Imperial Summons, you could have, you know, we could have open, favor, political, open, and then, you know, whatever symbol you choose as, discard the favor, and then bow target personality, period. You may bow your stronghold instead of paying the discard the favor cost of this card. Even with the if, even if they just had a reminder text. Yeah, I I don't know. I didn't really intend to get this off into a rules thing. I, but to take that back to what I was talking about the turnout. So it was clearly there is it is problematic that we're running tournaments without having the comprehensive rules. Yeah. I mean let's let's be clear, right? We ran the tournament. The world did not explode. We're able to figure these things out. We're not complete idiots most of the time. And L5R players are, you know, generally decent human beings. So. It's not like the world exploded. So I agree that it's a problem, but I think it's a problem for the sort of people who are really serious tournament players and came anyway. There were definitely a lot of people at Arcote kind of making fun of the fact that there weren't rules yet, but they were at Arcote. Well, no, and and, you know, that's the same for me from what I've seen from the reports for the other Cotes as well and what I've seen of my friends' lists, you know, people I'm friends with on Facebook and... uh, on other things, it seems like most of the L5R players, you know, they went, which I guess is not something to be, uh, which I, I guess is something to be expected. But I, I think a lot of what we get 
a lot of people in the Kotes, especially with new sets, is that's usually new people. I remember the Emperor, I think it was the Emperor one, we had a whole bunch of new people. And I think well, that's why I think it's probably partially that proxy thing, is you just didn't have that. We had a couple new people, but not very many. We had like two or three. I, I don't know. So the, the Kote went well, except for the fact that uh, we didn't have the number of people that show up that we wanted to show up. And since everybody asks me anyway, I will note that no, financially, the uh, the Kote was not successful. So, so we only had 38 people. I, I had enough prize support in that everyone, every single player at the tournament walked out with a playset of the participation pack, the Kote pack, which was a like half of the foil versions of half of the Commons and Ivory Edition, and then I think the second, the Kote in the second half of the the season will have the other half, I think. I don't yeah. remember. I heard that. I don't remember if that. I don't know if that was announced or speculated, but that's floating around. We ended up with a top eight, and so everyone in the top eight got at least two unopened, bo- two sealed booster boxes, and two rare sets. Uh, <laughs> so it was great for the players. I did some different things with the top and bottom of clan prizes. I kind of had a. Uh, booby prizes for the bottom of clan and then i had clan themed alcohol prizes for the top of clan and i did these little presentations you know a little speech about the like especially the gag prices before handing it out like the uh the mantis bottom of clan was a book about the titanic a cautionary tale although i should note that that one got traded in we had no phoenix players at all and the prize for the phoenix clan player was a set of the first three harry potter books you know go back to the other school of wizardry and Mm -hmm. the bottom mantis clan player actually wanted those (laughs) yep so she traded in the the titanic book for the harry potter books so unfortunately mantis clan you have chosen not to learn from the cautionary tale of the titanic so if I do this again next year, that may be what you get again. <laughs> well, hey, at least they're going to be shooting lightning as they go sink into the sea. <laughs> no, it's just the first three years. They'll be going Expelliarmus a lot. <laughs> uh, so I, I was glad that people seemed to like that. Some people seemed to really like that. A big part of that was the presentation, so... I didn't know if it was just going to come off as very lame or amusing, and people seemed to think it, it came off well, so that was that was uh, nice. Uh, I don't know. And like I said, hopefully, once we get into April and Ivory Edition is actually out, we'll see the Kote attendance pick up, because every year up to now, I've just been able to kind of go all in on the prizes, and it's been fine, and... I what I don't want to have to do next year is kind of sit down and guess and be like, well, am I going to have 40 people or am I going to have 90 people? Because if I don't know which one of those numbers I have, I can't buy prize support like I'm going to have a 90-person tournament. You know, it, it doesn't uh, doesn't work out. But so we ended up with two locals in the finals: Randy Slavin and Rich Bowers Dean. Crane versus Lion, which was kind of the theme of the weekend. Which we'll get to in a little bit, but our, at our Cote, we only we had 38 players. There were no Phoenix. There was one Spider. 
there were three dragon, and everybody else had five or six. So that that was a pretty good spread overall. I suspect that may get more skewed as uh, as the the next few weeks progress. Half of our top eight was crane, and then there were two lion, a dragon, and a unicorn. That was not a typical out of the 49 players who made the cut over last weekend. 20 of them were crane. Uh, crane won half of the cote. Lion, the lion, aka the clan that goes before crane, won another two. And Crane did it with at least three different... I mean, Scout Military, straight up honor with greater or lesser amounts of dueling, dishonor, usually using a lot of out-of-clan guys. I mean, I think Crane Fallen Dueling, the big scary one, was... I think that was the fourth most successful Crane deck. It's hard to meta against that. It's not one deck that you're metaing against. You're metaing against... Good economy. Yeah, your box is really good. Uh... For some of them, your sensei is really good. I stick by my opinion that I do not like the design on Akagi Sensei because it, unlike every single other sensei, it effectively does not have a drawback. Right, it's it doesn't have a drawback. It's more of a deck building restriction, and which is what they're all supposed to be in the first place. Right. right well, but but at the same point, I would say well, a part of that is that the cost they tried to put on there is actually not that serious a cost to honor decks. Because it's a very limited pool of uh, honor holdings that you are pulling. You're literally only pulling from two anyway. Well, it basically says right, what you don't play with Kabuki Theater Troop or Turquoise Court in this deck. Right. Or well, or poorly placed gardens, but still. Mm. I have not gone and done a full examination of deck lists from other Kote yet, but I, my sense is that Crane decks are not playing poorly placed garden anyway. Oh yeah, no, no, I'm I'm sure they're not, but it's still potentially a cost if you really wanted to honor rocket. Or well, you really aren't going to honor rocket if you're doing that type of deck anyway. Well, no, yeah, that's I mean, right? That's the, it, the I, argument is still they it is effectively not cost. Yeah, yeah, I mean the 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 argument for there being a cost is yeah, oh well, you can't play this kind of deck. You know, that's just like well, my sense say yes. It's got two deck building restrictions. I have to play with duels and I have to play with weapons, but it's still got other costs on it. Right. It's just hardly restricted at all. It has no cost beyond the deck building restriction. Insert obligatory obligatory comparison to poor Ray Sensei. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the the Phoenix attendance was atrocious. There were five Phoenix players between six Cote. Almost one each. That's yes, almost one each. Now two of those five did make the cut, so it's possible that those decks will get out there and maybe, maybe they've got something for Phoenix that that we haven't seen, which would be nice. I, I mean, I, yeah, I would love to see it. I, I do not want. I don't want any clan to go through Cote, or even half of Cote season as bad as Phoenix feels like they are. So, you know, we'll have to to see about that, but. But at our Cote, at the Atlanta Cote, they said there were four Phoenix decks. Or sorry, not Phoenix, four Crane decks. I was about to say. One of, one, we had... One scout, of those birds. We had, yeah. I think we had two Scout Military, a straight-up honor, and a, and a Dishonor deck. In the top eight. Six of the top, yes, in the top eight. Six of the top eight decks are up on Strange Assembly already. Two of them did not want their deck list posted, so they have not been posted. And then there were two Lion in the top eight, a mid-range more mid-range military Randy's that won, and then Donnie's uh, more blitz 
lion military. Then there was a dragon, a Hijatsu Sensei, and a unicorn deck. I think the unicorn deck was basically just, it's a unicorn deck. It was not using their Sensei, because why would you? The most popular weapons did definitely seem to be Justice of the Crane and then Family Sword. I did not really see much in the way of weapons being used successfully beyond that, unless it was a, you know, weapon, like, like it's the dragon deck that has to play with a bunch of weapons. Followers seem more popular in general, including in the successful decks. You know, Ashigaru Spearman. I think Ashigaru Spearman might have been the most popular attachment that I've seen. Yeah. And then other little guys with ranged attacks. Frontier Farmer and Sparrow Clan Aid to... Is it Merchant Guard? The guy who gets plus one for yeah. every market that you have? Yeah. No, if you have a market. It's just if you have one? Okay. Yeah, it's a two or a three. So there was that. I, I was just curious. So two, two meta issues that seemed like they... They could be out there. The first, I guess, and least attention grabbing one is, I was kind of curious, quantity of entrenched versus quantity of sneak attack. At at Arcote, out of 38 decks, two of them were running sneak attack for a total of five copies in the field. And I believe that 18 people were running entrenched with two and a half copies per deck on average. Nexus of Lies, there were 12 decks running, most of them three copies each. A healthy chunk of those were Scorpion decks. Now, I, I can't imagine why a clan that uh, cares about making you lose honor would also run Nexus. Purge of Fudoism. Out of the 38 decks, I counted I, count, I counted seven that were running Purge of Fudoism, and two of those seven were running two copies of Purge. Uh, the other the other five were running a single copy. In the top eight, half the decks were running Entrenched, and most of those were three copies, and there was one deck that was running two copies of Purge of Fudoism. I think those were, especially Purge, and and how prevalent that would be, uh, would be something. I should also note that at our, I mean, at our coach, there was only, like I said, there was only one Spider player. I don't think anybody was playing Fallen. I didn't see any. Yeah, I mean, there were some Fallen guys in decks, yeah. but. Probably the biggest casualty of Purge of Fudoism. I, I mean, I don't know how many people not playing Spider and not showing up with Spider was Purge or not, but I, I suspect that Fudoist Temple was the biggest casualty because that is just not worth risking getting your gold blown up. Right. Be like, Even though it's a really good holding. Yeah, turn one, Fudoist Temple. Opponents turn one. Kill your Fudoist Temple. Game over. You know? <laughs> not how the gold goes in this uh, arc, no. I, I don't know if that is game over. Uh, I don't know, like, if I, if you buy gold turn one, and then I blow it up, and then I buy my productive mine or something, that's an enormous advantage. No, no, I mean, it, it is a big advantage, but I'm just saying, I mean, the gold is very sporadic. Yeah. I've seen so many games where you just had to go second turn, I get no gold, and we're just gonna have to play this and see what happens. And uh, First turn can be just as bad, but still. Yeah, I mean you you've got to cycle through, and if you, and if you're relying on buying two holdings on turn one, and then more than two on turn two, then yeah, you got to run a lot of holdings to maximize your chances of maximizing your gold, and then of course you're increasing the chance that later in the game you're going to have a uh, your deck hates you the other way by coughing up holdings when you desperately need personalities. One of the reasons why 
famous bazaar is very, very, very heavily played. Well, and uh, and Jade Portland, on top of it just being a fantastic card and it's slimming out your deck, it also lets you shuffle. Yes, yeah, so those cards that you had to do your, your once-per-game mulligan to put on the bottom, those are back in, get your numbers back where you a little, up a little bit of, of personalities floating around in the deck. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I think I think part of the issue, or not part of the issue, with, with the whole weapons versus followers, it just seems like you can make a ranged attack or a fear fairly big, but if you attach a follower, it, it really puts a significant speed bump. On top of the fact that followers for the cost just end up being a lot of times better than weapons. Oh, you know, the, the followers are... It, it, Especially once you get past Justice of the Crane and and Family Sword, they're far better force. Yeah. And the, the force on weapons is terrible for what they cost after that. Unless you're getting the two for twos that have. Let's definitely pull walk that back. There are some. I mean, there are weapons that are two for twos. I actually like Stormforged Blade the best out of them, which is the one that lets you run home and straighten your unit. But I think the reason why the followers were around more is because you've got followers that have some force for a cost and then they've got ranged at or ranged attacks on them and if you're not opposed okay now you've got some force to help you get over the hump and take the province if you are opposed yeah you're losing the force when you use the ranged attack but who cares if i ranged attack your army out it doesn't matter if i take the province i just nuked your army i'm quite happy either way yeah well, I mean, and the argument for a weapon was be that you potentially could get not quite close to that, but you've got some of that same effect, but you're not losing the force bump. Uh, yeah, well, the problem is that I have to do something like pay five for one force and right. get a ranged two instead of paying four for two force and getting a ranged three. Yeah. Or three for two force and getting a ranged two or whatever spear. And, and, and you still have the less protection against other card effects. I I don't know. I mean the the two force followers like give your opponent something to do with their fear twos. I guess I do think like fear twos are not exciting. Range twos if they're by themselves are mostly picking off followers or defensive deck cards. But you know there's there's still usually something to to hit with them. But I feel like so far, although I, I mean, right, we should say, like, we, we've got one weekend, and because the turnout was low, these are less statistically significant than they would be, you know, so, but, but we have seen 8%, give or take, uh, whatever it is, of the, of the Cote season so far, so, but, you know, so it's not nothing, but it feels like it's bearing out the whole going first is still better thing, right? I mean, yeah. not really good, and, if you tell me, well, I don't want to play Crane, but I want to beat Crane, what, what, what should I do? Really, my only answer is play Lion, because they go first. To be clear, they go first, and they can field an entire deck full of solid personalities with you know, decent battle actions. And they have, like, one and a half bad matchups, maybe? But, uh, like, going first is obviously not a panacea. Phoenix go just as first as the Crane do, but their stuff is bad, so it's obviously not just that that Crane go first? Right, no, it's it's a lot of things helping Crane out. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty clear that when you look at one clan, and, and therefore now one stronghold, sometimes, and only one possible sensei, although sometimes done, 
being able to generate that many different highly performing decks, it's kind of hard to conclude that it's something, not that it's necessarily the only thing, but that, wow, this box is really good is is part of it. I mean, it helps, as, as has been discussed on a couple of our recent episodes, for the Honor decks that almost nobody's, uh, uh, not almost nobody's, but a large part of the going second bonuses that people get are completely irrelevant against an Honor deck. Once you get up to nine, I think I, I get it feels like that starts to be a real impediment, but getting the one province strength boost is just not enough. You know, Lion, they get a two province strength boost going first to going second. You still always want to go first in a Lion on Lion mirror match. Always. Yep. Not even a thought. And you're right, if I play Dragon, I never want to play a clan that goes in front of me, especially with all my attachments. If you're Unicorn, I think you just never want to play a clan that goes... I mean, you you would always rather play a clan that's going second to you. So you can get the tempo advantage. The the, the going second side of the box just don't feel adequate. I don't know. Well, it, it, well it's hard to... One of the parts that's a little bit harder to figure out about that, too, is that you look at Lion and you look at Crane, and a lot of it's also that their personality base is really good. So it's yeah. like, what, you know... I'd be interested to see more of a, you know, mid-range clan versus lower-range clan. Is that really, you know, is that really actually affecting them? Because it didn't, Spider made finals at one of the Cotes, didn't they? Or did they not? I think they might, did they make the finals at Vancouver? They made the semis, two made top eight at Vancouver, and one made the top four at Melbourne. But the top four at Melbourne was Crane on Crane. And Crane won Vancouver. Right. I mean, you had a lot of, yeah, like our top four was Crane Lion, Crane Lion. I think Feeding Hills top four was Crane Crane, Crane Lion Lion. Did Mantis make any of the cuts? Oh, yeah, everybody made the cut. The, 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 the only, the, the lowest number of making the cuts was actually Crab. Really? Yeah, only one Crab deck made the cut. That really surprises me. At least based on what's been posted. I mean, I put up, I guess it went live today. So it's on, so whenever this episode gets edited and up, and if you go back and look at Tuesday, I've got, no, not Tuesday, Monday, I've got the, yeah, because I'm, I'm back to doing the, the clan tourney success statistics posts. So there will be an update on this stuff every Monday on Strange Assembly, unless, you know, my real life interferes with my ability to get that, that post up in a, a timely fashion. So, you know, people can check that out now. So I don't want to just regurgitate an, an entire table. But Crane were really great at making the cut. The second best at making the cut were actually the Phoenix. Because, like I said, there were so few. two Phoenix players made the cut out of five. <laughs> that's a pretty good percentage. It is. It is. Well, I mean, I look at that and I go, like, that's like here's the thing to highlight, like, how small sample sizes can really skew things. Although, like I said, maybe, hey, uh, it would be great if it turns out that Somebody had figured out a Phoenix deck that works well, and that is something that that can be used. Because there are more, not that Phoenix are a giant clan or something, but there's more Phoenix players than that, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the most popular faction was Crane, and then Lion, and then uh, I'm happy to say, dra- uh, I'm happy to say Dragon, actually. We did okay, we got, I mean, we had four people in the cut, so I mean, it wasn't good, but it wasn't bad, as far as these things go. That's about middle of the road. Crane put 20 people in, Scorpion put 7, Lion put 6. Although Lion then won 2, because they then... Uh, my 
sort of take on it would be like, well, that's what happens when you go into the uh, crane-infested elims, and and you've got a better match against crane than other folks do. But yeah, the the worst make the cut rate was was crab. Spider and Phoenix had subpar attendance, I'd say. Most of the other ones have pretty, you know, 12%, 11%, 10%, right? You know, the average is going to be 11.1. So Crane took an awful lot, but Phoenix had so few that most of the other clans were kind of average-ish. And then there's more Kote coming up this weekend, and we'll, you know, hopefully we'll double our data, and we'll get a better idea. Hopefully, hopefully double to 50% more of the attendance, too. Yeah, well, we'll see. It has some interesting implications for the Mega game, too. Oh, or not Mega game, you know, the renewal thing. It's it's not a Mega game. Well, first of all, although I still think that nobody is going to hit 1,000, the Crane right now would be on pace to have almost 1,200. But the overall points total would be quite low because the attendance was so low. And so if you project out based on this weekend, like, like I, I did a post about this, a month ago or something like that, and I went back and I assumed a, a good Kote attendance, and if you have a good Kote attendance of 4,000, that's, you know, there's it's 4,000 attendance points and 1,500 or so making top 8 and winning an honor event points. Well, if you go from an attendance of 4,000 to 3,000 to 2,500 or something, well, that's an awful lot of wind getting sucked out of the sail. So actually, like I, I had said, probably we would have at least seven clans would hit at least 500 points. Only one or two would miss that. And, you know, sorry, Phoenix, you're going to be one of them. Yeah. If you went just on the first weekend, the only clan other than Crane that would hit 500 points would be Lion. Phoenix would not even get 100 points. You would not even get the win a duel prize. Yeah, we don't need to win one of your silly duels. We'll just burn and eat you. Yes. Seems like a good time to go corrupt, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you say that like there's not a good time to go corrupt. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think Phoenix are going to stay with attendance that bad. I, I don't. I mean, here, I will say this. I will say this definitively. The crane will not stay this good. Yeah. Because if the cranes stay this good, something will get banned or errated. If we are sitting here a month from now and the crane are still this dominant, something will get hit with a nerf. Either there's going to be a corrective in the environment or they'll have to, to stop something. Let me make it clear. I am in no way, shape, or form suggesting that anything whatsoever should be done like that now. But if you get a month into Kote season and Crane have won half of the Kote and are this dominant, you've, you'll have to do something. So so here, here's my question, and this is something that I, I think is a pretty good question. What on earth do you do to them? Ban the stronghold. Yeah. I, you, know, you know, I mean, it, it's real hard to do anything to it. Yeah, because you, you can't, obviously, you I mean, really, in my mind, you don't ever want to power level a rat or something. You just want to ban stuff. Well, right. Like we just said, like what what's the card that's actually in common in all of these crane decks? The box and yeah. Soken? But not even all of the decks run Soken. Like I, I don't even think I think Soken is really good if you want a body. Soken is really good if you want to proclaim, but I don't honestly think he's like super broken. He ends up being 
He's good, but I don't think he's what's pushing him over the top. Well, I, well, that's. I mean, the problem is I don't know that there's any one thing that is just make it so it can't run holdings. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> ban marketplace. <laughs> no, ban uh, marketplace wouldn't do anything. There's too many other good holdings. There just isn't any one thing you can single out. I, I can look at a scout deck list, and I can look at the honor deck list. And I don't know that there is anything, anything at all crane-specific that these decks have in common other than Soken. Yeah, but I, I still don't think if you were to ban him that that would affect the environment at all. Okay, well, that I mean that basically means that you have to go back and you have to errata the Stronghold. Yeah, I, I know. That's, like, it's crazy that's still getting seriously ahead of ourselves i i hope i really hope it does not come to that well i don't know we've already had to ban they've already had to ban two things from the environment so yeah i i don't know i feel like if you do hit something on crane i think you're going to have a lion problem because i i think crane lion are kind of like the weak point of crane but crane scouts is one of the weak matchups for lion and Lion is incredibly strong. Cut off one head. Yeah. Half a head rises in its place. Contrary to the saying, there really are very, very few things where if you cut off one head, two of them come up. But, or if two of them come up, there are much less significant heads than, than the other heads. Actually, really, I suppose we'd, ideally what we'd want is to cut off one head and have nine heads come up. That's actually the goal. Yes, that's exactly the goal. <laughs> So the more heads that come up, so yeah, right, we want more heads to come up. Yes. I, I, I don't know. But, you know, people had fun, so that was good. I think for now people are having fun. I think that the changes that have been made with Ivory Edition have, right, we've, we've talked about the rough patches, but I think that the, I think that overall it has worked out well. I mean, in two years, maybe we won't have clan holdings anymore. Hopefully. That'd be nice, but I think there's a lot of the right ideas and a lot of the right foundations. I just don't think they hit the actual formula. Like they've got the baseline, they're just missing like a couple of variables to get it to work. Well, I mean, yeah, you you've got some of the stuff like with the Craner line. It's just well, you have to try to balance. You have like this insane job of balancing all these yeah. different factions try, to get it to work. Ideally, is what I mean. Yeah, yeah, to get that. I mean, I the I cl- clearly right. We again. I think that they need some more refinement of having made such a big change into how they're writing, how they're templating cards and writing the rules. I think clearly there were, right? I mean, there's there's a list of like 20 things that have technical errata already, you know, because they don't actually really work how they're supposed to. Right, they just need more practice with the new rule set and how to lay it out. So one common category of that is the guys that can, the guys that have reserve and have interrupts, that are for themselves coming into play at the battlefield. None of those were printed with absent, but you can you can take the reserve action as an absent battle. But the thing is that you back in the day the it would have been something like react when this guy comes into play at a battlefield, do whatever. But now you have to declare the interrupt when the card is still in your province and you may not have any units at the battlefield. So those have technical errata to give them absent. Anyhow. 
But but yeah, so there's a couple of technicalities of that. I, I mean, probably the most. I still think. Again, I, I'd be happy to be proven wrong with this. I but I would think that the the biggest overall balancing thing that still needs to be done is, as I've said repeatedly, there's not adequate compensation for going second. That when they reprint the starters in laser edition or whatever is coming out in January of 2015, that they should tweak what those strongholds are getting on their going second side. I, I still think they need to do something with the gold, even if it's just you get a second turn flush. I, I've just I've seen way too many games with you know decks that are, have half holdings where like second turn you just don't get any holdings. That's just gold screw though. Like math, like right? We've done you, you, you know we've done the math on this sort of stuff. If you put an appropriate number of holdings in your deck, you have whatever you know five percent chance or whatever it is of getting gold screwed and. It, right, there was a problem in Emperor Edition that you got to cycle too much because you would just always get, you'd just always be able to cycle to what you needed. Right, and you'd only run like three holdings and you'd be fine. Well, right, but part of it was you had Emperor where you had a lot of gold cycling and you had gold constantly on the table. I think the problem was when you took out both of those, you basically went back to the you know problem you had in gold. Like if if you had gold on the table, it'd probably help. But really, I think you could now do the cycling and it wouldn't matter as much because you don't have the, the second holding. I guess right. because you can split, it actually is about the same though, now that I think about it. I really think that what would happen is basically if you introduced another cycle on the second turn, that, that would be less abusive potentially than cycling twice on the first turn because really in Emperor, all you you a lot of times you would just be like, I want to get my gold for the first turn and that's really what I'm caring about. Because I've already got the six in play, I just need my first turn gold buy. So, so you couldn't put it that much, but what it would it would let you reduce your holding count while still maintaining the same percentages. So people would reduce their holding count, and they still get gold screwed just as much. They would just be playing with fewer. They'd just be playing with fewer holdings. I mean, I think that I, I don't know. We have spent way too much of this episode talking about what ifs and speculations and and whatnot. You're welcome. Oh that well. Would be different from normal. How? I don't know. We had actual concrete data <laughs> this time. I guess we did talk about real decks. Yeah. I don't know. Crab had a bad weekend. Mantis had a bad weekend. Phoenix, I'm gonna say, had a bad weekend. A Scorpion had a good weekend for clans that weren't Crane or Lion. They had a variety of different things that they can do, which we'll we can go into later. A Spider. I don't know. Spider, Spider didn't have a good weekend. There wasn't, it wasn't as bad. I mean, they had a, they had a solid rate. There weren't, there weren't catastrophically small numbers of Spider players, but it was pretty low. Uh, but they did reasonably well. Like I said, there were two that made top eight at Vancouver and another one down in Melbourne. That's, that's not a ton, but that's certain, you know, that's, that's more than many other clans. Unicorn had a, uh, Unicorn had a decent weekend. Dragon had a decent weekend again for clans that aren't Crane or Lion. I think the Dragon was very heavily, the dragons that were making the cut were very heavily sporting Hijatsu Sensei, although with a couple of different builds. I saw a number of decks that were were very big on running uh, large cavalry guys in a couple of different clans, and then like importing large cavalry guys in from other clans. So, I don't know. But, uh, 
All right, well, now that we're back in Cote season, uh, we should be able to get you some more concrete deck discussion more frequently. I know we we recently had Ben Higgins and uh, Donnie, James Donathorn Tate on here. And I will again note that, hey, if you want to come on and give your clan perspective or your regional perspective on the metagame or your clan, email me, chris at strangeassembly.com. We can work something out. But do you guys have any uh, parting thoughts on uh, the kickoff of Cote season? We were supposed to be thinking. Well, no. yes. I mean, you don't, but you're actually supposed to be. Yes. It really, if nothing else, uh, every, through everything else that's happened and my own doubts, uh, I have just had reinforced for me how really amazing the community is. And it's not anything I should really doubt, but especially when you get in person with people, it just everybody's so friendly and it's great to talk to everybody. I don't know. It, it really reinforces my uh, my love for L5R. Well, that was a good one, Jay. Can you top it? No, but I'll weigh in with uh, the Phoenix. Even when we're atrocious, we're still the second best. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, no, I, I mean, I think I think Mike Reich's right. Uh, I think L5, L5R players are great. Again, I know we obviously I didn't have as many of you uh, as I would have liked to have seen at our Cote last weekend, but I enjoyed uh, hanging out with, with those of you who came, and I hope that you had a good time at the tournament. I think people did have a good time at the tournament, even setting aside the massive piles of swag getting handed out. It was massive. <laughs> uh, the, yeah. the, the, the look on people's faces the round I handed out like seven packs. <laughs> They're like, uh, are you sure? Yeah, and yeah, and people realize that when I'm getting a whole playset of these, and you're giving me gigantic piles of packs, and I, I kind of amused myself every time some somebody lose in the top eight. Like, well, you scrubbed out, so you're going home empty-handed. Thud. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, that seemed to, to brighten everybody's face. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, on the one hand, I just lost. On the other hand, how could I be unhappy with this sitting in front of me? Uh, anyhow, so that was uh, the Atlanta Cote and the first week of Cote season. If you'd like to check out the statistics posts or some deck lists or the other things, you can do those at strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the Strange Assembly podcast on our website or through iTunes. You can follow us. Uh, we're at Strange Assembly on Twitter. We're also Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly. And as I mentioned, you can contact me directly, Chris, at StrangeAssembly.com. I always enjoy hearing from you, uh, compliments or criticism, either way. But until then, for Jay Earl and Mike Cook, I'm Chris Stevenson, and you've been listening to Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. Bang.